everybody. Welcome to another episode of Sunshine and Brain. This right here is, oh gosh, episode 16. Is this fucking episode 16? Nope, nope. This is episode 17. <laughs> Got a little behind myself there. This is episode 17. Man, we're almost at 20. That's pretty cool. Anyway, uh, yeah, Sunshine and Brain, part of the Perry Veritas Network, the podcast where we have conversations about mental health and the most down-to-earth, normal way possible. Nice to talk to you. How's, how's everybody doing? Uh, for those who are turning back and listening to this episode down the road, this is the week that uh, President Trump caught COVID-19. So, uh, yeah, that happened. I guess, you know, you, you can't say it wasn't expected. I mean, not not because the man had been going around, uh, you know, talking about how it's not that big of a deal and you don't have to wear your masks all the time and there's going to be a cure, the greatest cure, the best cure of all time. It's going to be coming along, you know, as quicker than you can imagine and all this stuff. I mean, you know, but just because like viruses could give a shit about politics is basically what we glean from this episode <laughs> is that viruses could give a shit about politics. They don't really care who you are, what your background is, what you believe. If you breathe it in and catch it at the wrong spot, then that's what's going to happen. And apparently, not only did Trump get COVID, but a whole bunch of other folks got COVID. And for the sake of looking strong and being strong, that dude is rushing his treatment, man. I mean, he's like back in the White House and trying to put a strong face forward and He's an old man and he's, you know, morbidly obese. So those are two indicators of like being in the don't fuck with COVID space. So here we are about, a you know, a month or so away from the election, a little less than a month away from the election. And um, people seem to be fucking around, man. There's a level of kind of cavalierness about it that is uh, frankly stunning. Frankly, absolutely stunning. So, yeah, you know, I, I don't... Uh, I don't really know how to feel about it. On one hand, I'm I'm dead set against everything about Trump. I mean, he's a he's a white male rapist in his fucking mid seventies, and I don't think he has any business being president. And you know, he he puts a real bad name on those of us who who have mental health issues. <laughs> you know, it's like fairly terrifying to think about in terms of the kinds of things that he struggles with and deals with and, you know, the kind of things that sort of I struggle with and deal with and that they're on the same playing field in that way. So there is something uh, sort of frustrating about that. But the other piece is there's quite a bit of celebration going on about, you know, him having COVID and then um, some of the dastardly people in his cabinet having COVID at the least of which being that they just before recording this, it was announced that Stephen Miller one of his highest ranking advisors has tested positive for COVID. And this dude is like a straight up white supremacist, which, you know, as a Jewish person just does me proud because he's Jewish as well. Like what the fuck, how does a Jewish person end up being a white supremacist? But you know, like when you think about it, this is like the year of the awful Jew <laughs> because between Stephen Miller and uh, that dude who was uh, fucking on the Island, like having sex with, Miners, basically forgetting his name right now. I don't really feel like I need to say it out loud anyway. Then the other guy, Harvey Weinstein, who's an awful person as well, you know, so 
yeah, we're, it's not just priests, you know, who, who, uh, who are pedophiles and things like that. You know, Jewish people, Jewish people, I guess, have them too. So, you know, it's pretty, pretty awful. But at the same time, you know, I don't really know how I feel about celebrating, you know, celebrating the fact that these folks are sick and, you know, are potentially their lives are in danger. I mean, it's quite one thing to really disagree with someone's politics and to wish that they not be in power. It's something else to sort of hope that they die. On the other hand, you know, it's not as if these folks aren't responsible for the deaths of so far 200,000 plus Americans, which, you know, is like something like 20 or 30 or 40 percent of all the people who've died from COVID at this point. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, it's a bonkers sauce. We are not, we are not uh, that much of the world's population. Certainly the States is a big country and there's a lot of people that are here, but uh, you know, the folks who've died from COVID in the United States represent a huge percentage of the folks who've died from COVID around the world. I think it's just hit over a million and we're 200,000 of them. So yeah, that's 20%. That's something uh, that's, that's not a number that you, that you want to hit there. You know, and, and that's reflective of something quite awful. I mean, here we are toting ourselves as the greatest nation in the world, the definition of quote unquote first world. And, uh, and these are our numbers here, you know, so, so that's a problem. That's a significant problem. And, you know, is it, is it a great thing to celebrate when someone, uh, someone catches this thing? I'm not, I'm not so sure, to be honest. You know, I think, uh, do I think Trump should be in jail? Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's a sexual predator. That's why you should be in jail. And yeah, because he's fucking skipped out on his taxes as a billionaire. So, you know, quote unquote, so we should be in jail for that too. And, uh, probably committed treason, you know, against the country on a num- number of different levels. So he should probably be in jail for that too. You know, so a hundred percent, he should be in jail and he should not be president, but you know, do I, do I wish that he has COVID? I wish that he dies. I don't know. There's a karma thing there that makes me, makes me uncomfortable. So not really sure. Not really sure what I wish there. I don't wish him well. I'll tell you that much, (laughs) but maybe I wish he didn't get COVID. I don't know. I'm not sure how to feel about that. I'm not sure how to feel about that. Anyway, so I'm doing well and not much to catch you up on from last time. Still got the swimming going on, which has been awesome. I mean, I've been at a mile every single time I swim, and so I've been definitely enjoying that. Got a little bit cold today, and the pool's been a little bit cold, but it's kind of even better. I mean, it's harder to get in and harder to get going. But at the same time, it has an even better kind of antidepressant effect, you know, that cold water kind of rushing over my body as I swim, and I'm hitting 72 lengths now every time I go, and so you know, just kind of feeling stronger and stronger. So that part, that part has been great. And as a matter of fact, this episode is about a number of different things, but it's largely about the ways in which exercise can improve one's uh, mental health. The person that um, I'm talking to today, as you see from the show notes, is a really wonderful human being named Julia Fukuhara. This is a person who somehow, I honestly have no idea how, I connected with her on LinkedIn, not LinkedIn, sorry about that, on Instagram. I'm an old dude, so I can't, I can't fucking keep track of all the different social media platforms. And since I'm a recruiter, uh, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. But anyway, on Instagram, 
and uh, she's sort of like a local social media influencer. So what she does is she posts on Instagram inspirational videos about various things in her life, but also inspirational videos about exercise. Specifically, uh, she does yoga. She's a yoga instructor. She's also really, she calls herself a fitness instructor, but specifically yoga is sort of the kind of starting point for her in terms of the things that she teaches and, and what she does there. And she also does a lot of running and a lot of mountain biking. So those three kind of main exercise activities are the things that she does. And she's also a registered nurse and she works at UCSD um, as an oncology nurse. And specifically where she works as a fitness instructor is Orange Theory Fitness. So that's who this person is. She's amazing. It's a great conversation. We actually only had an hour to talk. So this is a shorter episode than normal. But it's a great conversation. And as you'll hear in the conversation, she agreed to come back to kind of continue the conversation. And look, I mean, we could have talked for two and a half hours, three hours. And as anyone listening to this knows, you know, when you're getting into a life story and getting into issues related to mental health, that length of a conversation is only scratching the surface of the surface of the surface, right? You know, scratching the very tippy top surface of an iceberg with, you know, a mountain of ice underneath the water. So it doesn't really matter how long we talk. You can, you can, you know, you can imagine. So she's going to come back and we'll continue the conversation down the road. We left a lot of irons in the fire. And so we'll just uh, kind of get back to us. Uh, sort of funny. So this was the first episode that I had to kind of really jerry rig how the recording was going to go because just the timing of, you know, being a single dad and my work and then also when she could talk meant that the only way that I could really connect with her was to sort of time it so that I, you know, drop my girls off at my ex's place um, for our normal kind of transition time there. And then boogie on down to like a shady spot in my car with uh, my computer there with me and my cell phone providing a hotspot and uh, to talk to her like that. So <laughs> my car was off, uh, so there wasn't any air conditioning, so it was fucking hot in the car. <laughs> so I opened the windows, and you can kind of hear cars driving by in the background. You know, I did as much as best, best as I could to sort of scrub that background sound. But as you know, I'm not working with, like, the highest tech equipment here. So I think it's a good recording. You'll be able to hear it. But, you know, maybe it's not the maybe not the best the best sound quality that we've been able to been able to provide so far in this podcast. But it's okay. Listen, it's okay. You know, we do what we have to do. We get there how we have to get there and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, so, you know, normally I, I kind of have more to talk about in terms of, you know, where I'm at right now and everything else. But to be honest, there's there's not much there. I mean, everything continues to sort of march along as, as usual. I'm not doing a therapy session this week because my therapist has some conferences and things like that. So we'll be reconnecting next week. The big thing that I've been working on so much in therapy recently has been working on really reconnecting with my feelings of anger and my feelings of mourning that I sometimes have. Uh, but there hasn't been a lot of that since the last time I recorded. And so I don't really have that much more to kind of talk about there. So there's no pressure to make the check-in, you know, longer than it needs to be. There's no reason to force it. Sometimes there's a lot to talk about. Sometimes there's just a little bit to talk about. You know, it's funny when my, my girls were little, it's less so now because they're bigger now, but I always felt like they grew like accordions, you know, where you'd kind of watch them sort of 
get a little sort of like grow out and then up, if that makes sense. So they, you know, you'd kind of watch them like, you know, get a little cute little chunkiness going on in their little like two, three, four, five-year-old bodies. And all of a sudden they just sprout right up and thin out and then get the like little chunkiness going on their little like six-year-old bodies and then sprout right up right after that, you know? And so that metaphor kind of works with mental health, I find, is that, you know, you're kind of going along and, you know, maybe not making much progress that you can see and feel, but you're really preparing yourself for an opportunity to make some progress. And then all of a sudden you have a breakthrough and then you just feel yourself grow in a way, you know? And I've had a handful of really nice breakthroughs recently in terms of reconnecting with those feelings that I had cut off for so long, you know, to be able to use them again in a way that's healthy and good and not bury them in a way that's unhealthy and bad. So that's kind of what's been happening. But I mean, right now, I guess I'm fattening up mentally before another opportunity for growth. Uh, That's a good metaphor. That's a good metaphor. It's a better metaphor than the idea of just kind of slogging in the mud. You know, I kind of talk about mental health and therapy in that way, too. You're like slogging along in the mud and you're just kind of working through all the muck of it. And then you're able to like make like a couple feet of progress and you're just back in the fucking mud you know, slogging along again. (laughs) And that metaphor is apropos in a lot of ways. It kind of works. But at the same time, you know, it's a little dark. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be that dark. Like, it doesn't have to be slogging in the mud. Maybe we think of it in terms of growth. So right now I'm fattening myself up with thoughts and ideas and preparing myself for a mental, emotional growth spurt, right? Or for me, in a way, a returning you know, returning to being the kind of person who can once again connect with those uh, with those negative feelings. So that's it for me. Hope everyone's doing all right. Hope everyone's hanging in. A few weeks left until the election. Scary, scary time for sure. But uh, as I said last episode, it's uh, the day after the election and the couple of months after that that I'm most scared about. So we'll kind of see what's what. But that's uh, that's what we're looking at. You know, in the next four weeks or so. So hope everybody's managing anxiety and and through all that stuff. If you'd like to take part in this conversation, I'd love to hear from you. Josh at periveritas.com is my email address. You can always reach me there. If you write me, I promise your email will make it to the show and I'll respond to you. Yeah, I hope everyone's doing all right, hanging in there. This is uh, Julia Fukuhara. You can find her on all social media platforms as at Julia Azulia. Uh, J-U-L-I-A-A-Z-U-L-I-A. And that's on IG, that's on Twitter, that's on all the spots. You can find her there under that uh, what is it, what they call, call sign handle, I guess, under your handle there. But all that stuff is in the show notes. You can just check over in the show notes and find her there. And so I hope you follow her and enjoy her, her inspirational messages. And as always, hope you enjoy this conversation. So uh, first of all, I, I'm so excited to be doing this with you. This is freaking awesome, man. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. My pleasure. It's wonderful to be chatting with you. Absolutely. I was trying to think like before we like started recording because I know you from Instagram. That's how I know you. But <laughs> I, 
I do not know how we connected on Instagram. Like I'm trying to figure out like when it happened, how it happened. I've got no idea. Do you even have like a clue in terms of how we ended up connecting on Instagram? I don't, but I feel like that's how I know a lot of people these days. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe because we both live in San Diego, maybe they're mutual friends or I, I don't know. I meet a lot of random people who end up actually being real friends and not like catfish um, in real life on, on either Facebook or Instagram or whatnot. It's, I mean, it's the way the, the world is these days. It's, it is absolutely the way of the world these days. It's funny, um, just about like as soon as the whole COVID quarantine was beginning, which you've had your own kind of experiences with it as a registered nurse. And I'm like really interested in hearing what just what your whole experience with it has been. But like that was when like I like basically just started to do online dating. <laughs> and, if I was, what's funny though, is that if I was like going to, I don't like really invest in stuff. If I was going to invest in anything though, probably the smartest move would have been to invest it in like online dating apps just before COVID started. Because as soon as the bar shut down, they, they exploded. They had to have exploded. It's, it's sort of unreal. So, you know, the, the amount of people who are out there meeting each other virtually is, is fascinating. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think this whole, it forced everybody to utilize technology for for what it is and what it's meant for, which can be a good thing and it can be irritating at the same yeah. time. Yeah, God knows. They, they could not have picked a better year to have a pandemic in terms of at least American politics. I mean, it's like unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So do you do you actually work with COVID patients? I do not directly work with them. We've had a lot of our patients either test positive or come in ending up being positive, but I do not work directly in either an ICU setting or like a medical step down unit or anything. I don't I don't work directly with those patients. So you never, you probably never sheltered in place at this point, right? I mean, you've probably been at work the whole time, I would imagine. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of a joke with my nurse friends because we're, we're like, well, we would have liked a little sabbatical, um, <laughs> but, you know, it's in, in, in a funny way We're I mean, by no means do we wish that we lost our jobs or anything like that, but, or we would like to work from home. It's just, it's impossible as a registered nurse to do that from home. But, um, so we, we always joke about it, especially in the beginning and everyone's complaining. We're like, yeah, please don't complain. We still have to go into our job. Um, but we're really lucky to, to be serious. I've been so lucky to actually have worked this whole time where I just know so, so many of my friends and my colleagues from my other job, they, you know, just been laid off. So yes, we, life has not changed a lot for me. It's pretty much almost the same. 
if anything, it's gotten more intense. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way as you. I mean, I'm a, I'm an executive recruiter in my professional life, and I'm really, really lucky that my firm and I, you know, happen to recruit in the pharmaceutical biotech space. You know, it's, you know, we, we know a lot of sort of third party recruiting firms just like us that are, you know, working in, say, travel, for example, or tech or whatever. And, a lot of those companies have had to go out of business, whereas, whereas for us, it has become a lot harder to find candidates for the jobs that I search for. But our jobs are just as urgent, if not more urgent. We've got more positions now because all of these companies that we work with are trying to find vaccines and trying to find, you know, diagnostics for COVID. So it's... um sort of amazing, you know? So yeah, I, I feel the same way as you have just been so lucky, been able to work from home and, you know, my job has been really steady. Um, but, uh, yeah, talk about count your blessings. It's sort of, um, sort of one of those things. Um, you, you have such, I mean, speaking of Instagram, you have such an inspirational, you know, uh, profile on Instagram. I mean, you, that's sort of what you do. I mean, when you look at sort of different Instagram profiles, what you often see are, you know, sort of thirsty pics, you know, <laughs> like people kind of like, you know, posting themselves in like various, you know, stages of, of undress. <laughs> and, what, what, what profiles are you looking at? But, but, you know, and sort of different things like that. COVID dating. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. I have been what's funny is that on one of the on one of the sites that I've been on, there are, you know, at a certain time of night, there will be prostitutes on that site that are like trying to solicit business on a dating site, which is so weird. And then um and then there actually are also people who post their They'll like go around liking a bunch of different guys in order to get them to find them on Instagram because they're like, you know, models and posting themselves in like various stages of undress, as I said before. So it's yeah. a it's a jungle out there, man. It's it's so weird. But you focus really on, you know, inspiration either through, you know, your obviously yoga activities and you're 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 a yoga instructor as well, correct? Yeah, so I'm a yoga and fitness instructor. I do I mean, obviously before before COVID, I was teaching classes, but um, when it yeah. shut down, I started doing some Zooms, and now I'm, I mean, I haven't been in a studio since March 23rd to teach myself, but California has just cleared, we barely made it, <laughs> we barely yeah. made enough to open up the studios, and so we are starting to reopen in October, which I'm very I'm, I'm ready for it. It was like the stages of, no, 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 I don't want it to close. And then, okay, this is a nice break. And now I've just, we're well overdue for just getting back into a routine, mental health. And I, you know, as you know, your podcast all about mental health, it's so important yep. to get exercise in order to create those healthy brain hormones and chemistries, change your brain chemistries to function at a happy level and uh -huh. community plays a part. I think that we underestimate um, social. You know, the social online communities can only go so far. Yeah. But in person, that I mean, that's really you can't you can't replace that the social yeah. social person to person interaction. 
Oh, you're you're a hundred percent right. I mean, I really notice it even in just some of those interactions. I mean, forget like missing hugs and all that stuff. That's a whole layer of things. But even like <laughs> going to the grocery store and not being able to see people's faces. You know, there there's something so comforting and wonderful and human and basic about that that um I mean me personally I, I really miss, you know, just to it's it's like you look at someone, you just have to kind of guess kind of who they are and what they're all about just by their eyes. And it's, and it's, um, it's really empty. You know, it's something that um, I definitely miss. And I, and it, it's interesting to think about like, when we'll get back to that, you know, what, what it's going to take for, you know, our society to not just have the vaccines, but for folks to start feeling comfortable to take their masks off. You know, it's that, that to me is a really, really interesting sort of process. We may never go back to folks having their masks off in certain indoor places, you know, but um, yeah, very, very interesting. Um, it, you know, for me, it's funny. My, my, so I, I swim for exercise. That's like my first choice exercise is to be a swimmer. And I've got other things that I'll do as well. But in the perfect world, I'll swim every day. And uh, you'll be very proud of me. This week, I, you know, my pool kind of reopened about two and a half, three months ago. And, but I had like three months off where I really wasn't able to get any swim exercise. And so it took me a while to kind of build my, my swim strength back up again. And my goal was to, within about two months or so, get back up to swimming a mile every day. And this week I hit that goal. And so now I'm exactly where I want to be and uh, kind of going along and feeling great. And there's nothing quite like the pool in terms of, you know, they've done studies that show that swimming in, in water, which I don't know why I say it that way. I'm not swimming in orange juice, but swimming, <laughs> swimming it has the same impact on your brain that, uh, that an antidepressant does and that it totally does like exactly the same thing. And I a hundred percent feel it. So not only am I feeling strong and everything else, but I'm also getting these really nice kind of, you know, more serotonin balances and endorphin balances and things like that. And it's really, really helping me in my daily activities. So um, yeah, I a hundred percent feel kind of where you're coming from there. Um, so look at, uh, I mean, how are you feeling? Do you feel comfortable at this point? Is it okay? Cause you know, sort of what I want to do. I want to, I want to ask you, you know, where your personal story with, um, mental health kind of begins. And I want this to be an opportunity for folks to kind of hear about your journey. Do you feel ready for me to ask that question at this point? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think people who know me know they can ask me anything literally yeah. ask anything. I'm very open um, and willing to share. I've been really lucky. I feel I haven't had any humongous struggles. And I don't know if that's just because of my upbringing. And I, cool. when I was a kid and just having a very privileged life and just um, very stable life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, life, you have your seasons of life, you have your challenges throughout the years. And, you know, I've had mine. All right, let's, sure. let's go. Do you what do you feel comfortable talking about? Um, whatever. I mean, you 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 lead you. So, are the lead. so I know very little about you. This is the first yeah. time we've ever talked. One thing that we do have in common is that both of us have struggled with um, the loss of our fathers. Um, for me personally, you know, I was kind of, um, mildly depressed, um, kind of leading into the death of my father. And then when he died, that's when I completely kind of spiraled and plummeted and really, really struggled. So that, that marked a a real sort of 
turning point in my mental health journey where things got really serious. And then I had to get serious in terms of taking care of myself. Um, but, uh, but if I was to talk about sort of where my story of mental health kind of begins, where my personal struggles of mental health begins, I would rewind to my time as a kid and, and talk about, you know, my dad in a way and the kind of personality that he had in that he himself struggled with depression and with anxiety pretty mightily. And, um, you know, never really took care of himself in the way that the way that I the way that I have. And so, you know, when I back up my story, that's kind of where it starts is with him. I mean, I could back up a lot further, but that's really where it starts from him. I wonder where it would start for you. Like if you were to talk about your mental health journey, where does it begin for you? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I have to say we have other things in common too. I yeah. used to work in biotech, so that's, that hey. might be a connection. There you go. <laughs> but I think really thinking about my upbringing and I am half Japanese. That's where my last name, Fukuhara, comes from. It's from my, my dad's side of the family. And then I'm half Caucasian. So my, mm -hmm. my grandmother was Italian, like traditional Italian. My grandfather was English. Um, and so growing up and you think about growing up in the eighties, it's a, it was a very different time. No, mm -hmm. I'm not going to say it's hugely different, like the forties, but I mean, we don't, we, there were certain things that weren't necessarily accepted as they are now. So growing up, I always felt like I never fit in. So I didn't fit in with the Asian kids. I didn't fit in with the white kids because I was half and half. We didn't have mm -hmm. a strong religious affiliation. My parents were actually very progressive and, had us experience our own religious upbringing. So they would take us, it was really cool. We go to different churches on the weekends or in the <laughs> evenings. And they kind of said like, this is up to you. You can believe whatever you want. We're not going to put you in a box. So we went from everything from Baptist church to, um, gosh, every temple to Catholic church to, I was on a Christian uh, Bible school one summer with my friends. And so even though I didn't feel like I fit, I, I felt like I had a lot of options growing up and I really, I didn't, so I'd never really had a group that was a mix like myself. And I didn't feel that I had a true sense of like intermingling with people until probably I was in my twenties. Like I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere until I was yeah. in my twenties. Yeah. Until I, you know, had a full time job and um, had really stable friendships and relationships. And so I think that not being able to fit in, and I didn't necessarily do everything to please everybody. I remember the one time that I did, I was, I think 16 is when I first had a panic attack. Mm -hmm. And it was because I just, wanted to fit in in the with all the smart kids <laughs> like the yeah. Asians and I was in all these AP classes when I was a sophomore in high school and it was just too much you just put I just put too too much pressure on myself and that was my first panic attack and ironically it was around the like the one year anniversary of my grandfather passing away so yeah. whether we realize it or not I think there are events in our life that subconsciously can trigger a response like a panic attack or just something chemically in your brain that you had no idea. And I wasn't, I didn't really know that I had, that was a year that my grandfather had passed the same around the same time until my mom told me. And um, so 
kind of going back to to your question, I I think that's the first time I had a little bit of a mental struggle is mm. what is happening to me and um, with that panic attack. And then go in my twenties, I and I don't know if you talked about a lo- this a lot on your podcast because you're not female, but um, <laughs> I experienced a really horrible bout of um, PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric dist syndrome. Excuse me, and huh. Um, it occurs from your hormones during your time of your cycle, and you can de- you can dip down into these very dark depress- depressions, oh, but wow. it's only for a certain amount of time when your hormones are out of balance, and then after that, they stabilize and you're fine. And so that has been something I've struggled with probably since I was t- like 19 years old oh, wow. of having that really dark depression, and it doesn't come every month. It can come some months. It could come... Other times, and when I was in my 20s, my doctor just said, you know, let me prescribe you some Prozac during that time, which I was very adamant on not taking. It wasn't yeah. something that I that I ever like to take. In the, yeah. I don't want to take pills or anything. And so um, for that amount of time, too, it's such a short amount of time. And if you know the way that antidepressants work, they have to build up to a certain tolerance mm-hmm. and you're in your brain. And so it didn't make any sense to me for that short amount of time. Um, I've struggled with that for gosh, now probably 15, 17 years and finally figuring out how to balance my hormones so that I don't have those crazy, crazy mood swings of, and it's more of just depression and, and irritability. Yeah. It doesn't give you the, you know, the, the mania or anything like that. It's all the bad stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Oh so God. that's pretty much been my biggest struggle with, I, I would say, with depression or anxiety. Or is anxiety. That. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, I, um, first of all, you are obviously a badass. Um, to, I mean, you're 100% right in terms of the Prozac. I, the antidepressant that I was on was called is called uh, Brintelix, which is an SSRI. Um, Prozac, back in the day, was sort of like antidepressant by, you know, mallet. You know, it was like a, like a hammer to the head antidepressant, basically. I mean, the, there really wasn't a lot subtle about it. And I can tell you, you know, even sort of now in the... Um, you know, I started taking it in, I guess, 2015 or so, 2016, I ended up taking it for about two and a half years. And, you know, there are a lot more like scalpels now. They're, they're more precise in terms of what they do. And even with this one, it was like, you really have to ease your way into it and then ease your way out of it. The whole idea of going on Prozac just for certain times of the month is terrifying. Um, so yeah, I'd love to kind of unpack that a little bit, but I, but before we get there, you know, I really relate to the idea of not, um, feeling like you can fit in. That's something that um, is really a sort of a part of my identity too. And in my case, I I come from also two very different cultures. Both cultures happen to be considered Caucasian now, but neither culture was like in the original definition of Caucasian because one is on my mother's side, I'm Jewish, uh, you know, Russian Jewish. And then on my father's side, I'm Irish. I'm, I'm hillbilly Irish. And so it was like a, a real mish, like mishmash of cultures kind of coming together. And in the hillbilly Irish side, 
I was certainly accepted by, you know, the folks that knew my family from my dad's tiny, tiny town in the Ozark Mountains. But I wasn't exactly one of them because I was also a, a Jewish person. And most of them had never even met a Jewish person before. And it was like, frankly, amazing to them that my dad moved to New York and married a Jewish woman. Like, who had ever done that? You know, what a what a shocking thing for someone from that town to do. And then on the Jewish side, there is a lot of challenges with interfaith couples and relationships. And a lot of people have a real struggle with that. And what I ended up doing was my career prior to becoming a recruiter was I was actually a rabbi for 15 years. <laughs> like, I, like the only wow. way I could figure out how to fit in was to like become their leader. You know what I mean? I was like, <laughs> I was like what I did in order to like figure out because then they couldn't like sort of ask me anything. But when they found out about my background, it was like, oh, and some of the strangest reactions that I got from people like, you know, that explains why you're so tall or that explains why you can dance or <laughs> that explains why this or that. And it, it's very funny in terms of like how they sort of reacted to that. So that feeling of like neither being here nor there, you know, not being of this group or that group, that's something that I've never really explored, not in therapy and not in these conversations yet in terms of a source for kind of mental health sorts of issues, you know, like not having a natural group that I could fall back on. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. I mean, I, I don't know if it plays a plays a part in your mental health, but it definitely can be a little bit of a mind, like a mind game for you with yeah. especially people who are, who like to please other people that could be a source of that, that as far as, no anxiety, depression, other kinds of things. It, I'm guessing it could be inter intertwined, you know, if you, in your job or in other relationships or, you know, wherever that may be. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me. It's absolutely fascinating. Something that's definitely worth thinking about and exploring, I think. Um, have you um, sort of done a deeper dive into that in terms of your journey? I mean, how do you feel sort of right now? Is that, is this still something that you struggle with? Because what I've done is I've you know, in my journey, I've essentially moved away from organized religion at this point. And while I still identify as Jewish and identify as Irish, I'm sort of a Jew Billy, you know, like my personality is a, a funny combination of those two sorts of things. Um, I, I more embrace it as a type of uniqueness in my background and identity, but it doesn't, it still doesn't sort of put me in a group, you know, I'm wondering how you've reconciled that moving into adulthood. I think, I mean, nowadays you can be anything you want. I mean, yeah. I have friends that are, you know, all sorts of religious backgrounds and ethnicities and genders. And I think it is completely acceptable now to be whatever you want. You can, I mean, as we've seen in these either celebrities or po political leaders, or you can really be whatever you want. And there, I don't think there are any boundaries now. I think... If anything, it's just kind of cool to be so unique. Or maybe that's just me now that I'm in my late 30s realizing I don't really give a crap what I don't have to fit in with anybody. I can just be myself. And um, yeah, it, there's just there's a lot I can I can talk about with that subject. But um, I feel like I've definitely connected more with my Japanese heritage in having my the seeing the passing of my father and in the last probably 10 years living with him, I went, I had the ability in 2010 to go to Japan with him. Oh, wow. And you think that's 
I was able to connect with, wow, this is a huge part of my background. I mean, 50% Japanese and I've never learned really anything about this culture other than what I grew up with. Yeah. And um, with his passing, he was able to, right before the year before he died, he was able to go back to the birthplace of where he was born, which was in a world world two concentration camp. In, camp. Yeah. Yeah. Concentration camp. Yeah. You, you, you documented that trip quite a bit on Instagram and I found that to be so inspirational, you know, your, your journey there and, and the different pieces that, uh, that you saw and connected with. Tell me about that. Yeah. So he, so I had promised him after he got back that we would go, that I would go with him the next year. And then obviously he passed away. And so my brother and I decided to go with my cousin and my uncle who my uncle was alive during that time. He was one when they were in the concentration camp and when they got out, um, he was a, a young, a very young child and it was unbelievable. I was just kept asking myself, why isn't this taught? I mean, in American history, this is such a huge part of history. And fortunately, a lot of the theme at the seminar was that it's still happening today. There are families being torn apart today um, in different parts of the United States. Mm -hmm. And it's just so sad that that that's not being more publicly displayed and be more, they don't know about that. Um, but yeah, he was my grandparents during World War II. They were going to, they're from Long Beach, going to Idaho to find some jobs when the order was placed for them to go into an internment camp. So they were supposed to go to Manzanar, mm-hmm. which is near Mammoth Lakes. But instead, they ended up ending up in Hunt, Idaho, in Twin Falls, Idaho, in that internment camp. So they were there from, I believe it was 1942 to 1945. My father was born in 1944 inside the camp. So when he got out, he was one. He obviously doesn't, didn't, he never remembered anything about it. My uncle remembered a few things when we were with him. And it was really lovely for him to share his memories and to be commemorated, all the survivors of the camp. Um, and so it was just, it was very eye opening and it put, and I think I've, I talked about this quite a bit too on social media. It just puts it into perspective this whole year because people are complaining about being at home. They're complaining about not going to work. But if you think about it, not that long ago, people were imprisoned. I mean, yeah. not only here, but I mean, like in Germany and I'm sure you have a connection with that. And, oh yeah. You know, yeah. people are taken everything was taken away from them everything their homes their businesses so you have to put it into perspective this year of how much we do have and i'm always trying to look at the positive and being grateful for everything you have instead of what is being taken away and i know that this has been a trying time mentally for people to change their perspective to that more positive mindset the amazing thing is is that you know in uh, obviously, I've got um, a lot of family, um, you know, my, my whole Jewish family that was left in Europe. Most of my most of my kind of ancestors, my American Jewish ancestors came here in like 1915, late 1800s, early 1900s. And, you know, that's when they kind of came. So they they really got out of Europe before the Hitler storm 
began, you know, but, and it was really smart for them to do that because I, I don't have any family left over in Europe. I mean, they were all killed in the concentration camps there. What's fascinating about the, the experience with, and you know, and it's, what's funny, I actually referred to it as you first started talking about it as internment camp. And I think you rightly so referred to it as concentration camp because it really, it really, it really was, you know, and so I'm sorry that I, referred to it as internment camp there and have referred to it that way in the past, I think I'm going to change my vocabulary on that moving forward because, um, because you're right. It's, it's exactly what it was that, you know, there were Jews that were in death camps and Jews that were in work camp work camps and they were all concentration camps. And these were um, concentration camps for Japanese people who, by the way, had left Japan because they didn't want to be in Japan anymore because <laughs> they wanted to be American, you know, and, and um, and they were denied an American identity and not trusted and put in these internment camps because they because they were not white. I mean, where were the internment camps for the Germans? The Germans were the ones that many of them in bulk went back to Germany to fight for Germany during World War Two. To my knowledge, Japanese weren't doing that. You know, so it's it's just bizarre and, and so sad that um that this is a choice that the government made and you know the years of suffering the fact that your father was born there i can't imagine that he was born in the most you know kind of safest medical circumstances at, at that time and was he taken to the hospital or was he just born right there no they had midwives there it was it was pretty functioning there as far mm-hmm. as everybody had their part mm-hmm. and don't apologize. I mean, I didn't even, I used to call it internment camps too until I went and I learned and I took classes at the historical monument last year about yeah. what, you know, what the terms, what, how we talk about it and what you say to people that have underwent such experiences like that. So yeah. it's just learning. It's just learning. Um, but yeah, when you have your rights taken away from you and everything, you're working to live is essentially concentration camp. That's right. So they had a fully they had teachers there, they had artists. There were some there were some lovely documentaries made about um, the different I guess it would be in their days, like celebrity artists and mm-hmm. everything there. And it's re- it was really cool to watch that during those courses. Yeah. Um and so yeah, I think just learning more about it and being open to to knowing other people's culture has been really important to me after being through something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and um, I wonder if you like if your feelings about being American sort of changed after that. You know, how how did that impact your sense of identity as an American? Yeah, I think I mean, it, you're conflicted because you're, you say, how could they do this to these people? My family, yeah. you know, my own people, but and you see it now too. I mean, this, the whole black lives matter movement, yep. it's, it's just a bad repeating of history. Yeah, you're, you're a hundred percent right. I, I just, um, uh, about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, got a Black Lives Matter, a prominent Black Lives Matter tattoo on my wrist because uh, I had, you know, completely sort of, I don't know, underestimated my whiteness, I guess. I mean, um, my uh, one of my best friends, Andre, he and I have done a, a ton of episodes on um, on Sunshine and Brain, this podcast, and he's got a podcast called Ideas by Andre, and, and I've done stuff with there. And even even so, having a best friend who's African-American, you know, I was sort of walking around feeling like that I was doing my job just by not being racist. 
and that I was sort of in a post-racial bubble, not not understanding that there's there's no such thing as a post-racial bubble. And um, and not just that, but there's really no such thing as white. I mean, when we say white, we think race, but that what we what it really is is uh, it's a, an exclusive club, you know, where you don't you don't have to get picked on by the police, and you don't have to get sent to concentration camps, and um, and you can have opportunities that aren't afforded to other people, and all sorts of things. And it's um, it's really sort of a shame that that we're still there in that in that space but you know, it just goes to show you there's still so much more work to be done you know there's just still so much more work to be done what was it like there i mean did you feel the spirit of your you know ancestors there could you feel like the spirit of your dad there yeah you i mean you're standing in this historical place and just imagining what everybody went through um it was it was pretty unbelievable very yeah. emotional you, know, you just you just wish you could share it with, I would just wish I could share it with my dad and yeah. my brother as well. But I mean, I'm glad my brother and my family went, it definitely made, made the trip. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been different if it was just myself or you know, just one of them. So that it was a really special, it was a, it was a pretty incredible trip and I will forever remember, remember it. And my uncle, he's going to be 80 this year. And so being the fact that we're not seeing any family this year, just my yeah. family's all over you know, 70. And so it was, it was a really wonderful um, experience with him and to have that time that those four or five days that I wouldn't have had, had I not gone. Yeah. God, that's, that's really amazing. I, I know a little bit about Japanese culture. My, my oldest daughter is taking Japanese in school now. And actually, when I was a kid, I did uh, martial arts and I did an Okinawan style of martial arts, which is like where karate was invented was in Okinawa, basically. And yeah. And, um, yeah. yeah. And so I, well, I mean, and then I've also history is kind of my bag and I've done a little bit of studying about um, Japanese culture and and it's very similar to Jewish culture in a way. I mean, um, somebody there is this rabbi that once said about Jewish culture that. Jews are like everybody else, only more so. And I think that that's probably more apropos for Japanese than Jewish people. <laughs> because, you know, it's like there are gardens, then there are Japanese gardens. Do you know what I mean? There's like education yeah. and there's Japanese education. Yeah. There's patriotism and there's Japanese yeah. patriotism. It's just yeah. different, you know. Yeah. Um, hands down, one of the most extraordinary cultures in the world you know, absolutely singular in the world in terms of in terms of what they've done and, you know, the roles they played in history, both good and bad. And um, just the intensity which, with which they approach kind of everything they do. It's it's fascinating. Do you do you see that? I mean, Italian is that way, too. <laughs> so yeah, you're I kind of a mix of two yeah. very, very intense I'm like, I like won the lottery with the two best, <laughs> best cultures. Like we have the best food. I mean, I get all the Italian food. Nope. My grandmother like, was so traditional Italian and Japanese, my Japanese grandmother and my aunt. And like to this day, my cousin, like just, just carrying on those traditions, the food traditions. But then you also get like, I'm so stubborn and that's the Japanese. <laughs> and, um, 
And then I'm also just really fiery from the Italian that, you know, if I get passionate about something, I forget it. It's, it's all over. So there's, there's pros and cons to every, I think, every culture. Just as I was about to stop being a rabbi, I, was, I started some of the things that I was like teaching and like saying to folks with kind of like making them confused and stuff. And so Jewish people are very proud of their food, but I... It's not, it's not great Jewish food. <laughs> like, sure, like a pastrami sandwich is all right. But is that really Jewish food? I feel like pastrami is probably Italian. I mean, it just sounds Italian. Italian you know? Yeah, right. Um, yeah. You know, a knish or whatever. Like, there's certain things like challah is like really yummy bread. But I'm, I swear, give me a slice of pizza over like, you know, the most ornate Jewish dish of all time. And I'll choose the slice of pizza any day, you know. Right. Yes. Yeah, those things. It's so funny. Um, so uh, yeah, you totally hit the lottery in terms of uh, cultures and and what they offer. That's absolutely true. And and you also seem to have grabbed kind of the best parts of both. You know where um, where you know you've kind of been able to mesh mesh together two you know two cultures in a, a really wonderful way, which is really awesome. Really, really awesome. Um, I'd love to get back to your experience with what what was it called again? The piece with your menstrual cycle, P. Oh, it's called PMDD. It's pre. Um, oh my gosh, and I just forgot. <laughs> uh, premenstrual premenstrual dysphoric uh, disorder pre-menstrual is what it's called. Dysphoric. How hard was it to diagnose that? Um, it's really not because I was just having these really horrible mood swings, like at the time that I was having my period. And so, um, it wasn't that hard. You you just kind of realize, I think women are very intuitive, um, with their bodies. And so you're like, Oh, why am I sad during this time? And then two days later, you know, everything happens. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely been a struggle for me. Um, just to monitor it and find the perfect balance of perfect meaning imperfectly, but it's perfect for me balance of how to function and not, you know, say the wrong things or be overly emotional or, you know, take things too much to heart during that time. And so, yeah, it's definitely been, it's been a challenge. I still struggle with it today, but it's a lot better than it was in my early twenties. No doubt. Did you ever actually do the Prozac thing during it? That sounds like a nightmare to me. Did you ever do that? No, I didn't. Um, but I actually have tried a few antidepressants and this is kind of like veering off to another, um, part of my life, but I think it's really, this part is really important. So, uh, a few years ago, I want to say about four or five years ago, um, I was just having a horrible time at work. Mm-hmm. It was just not a good fit for me. Uh, I was just working a lot. I wasn't doing enough self-care. I had horrible management to the point where days I would cross, I would cross the um, crossing from the parking lot to the hospital. And I would just pray that someone would hit me because oh, wow. I didn't want to go to work. And I don't tell a lot of people that unless they're in a horrible job circumstance where they're just, they just don't feel like they can get out of it. And so while I was the, the, it was about a year that I was struggling with this company I was working for as a nurse. Mm -hmm. And I went to a therapist and a psychiatrist. There were other things going on in my personal life that weren't, 
um, that were really stressful and everything kind of escalated and everything was a lot louder than it really was in hindsight. And so I ended up trying a few antidepressants, not staying on them for very long, but basically I just bring it up because I wasn't killing the root for, I wasn't killing the weed from the root and I was just picking at the the weed and it just kept growing back and I kept getting unhappy. And so I just, I like to tell people this story because if something is making you so unhappy and giving you anxiety, and I was taking anti-anxiety medication before I was going to work and it, it's just not a healthy situation. You have to remove that situation. So whether that be a job or whether that be a relationship or whether that be a place you're living, um, then I just always like to tell, tell people that are struggling in that aspect that once you remove yourself from the situation, it's not running away from it. It's bettering yourself and your mind and your body for a, a different or even a better experience. You said it, man. Yeah, you're 100% right. And that was very similar for me. I mean, I do still deal with depression and anxiety. It's just there. And, and, um, and for me, it's become like, it's my therapy right now is a process of sort of reorganizing my neural pathways, if that makes sense, you know, so taking a look at like what my response to anger is and what my response to grief is, especially those two emotions and realizing that I've got sort of what I call like an eight lane easy pass that's around it. And the easy pass is depression and anxiety. And and I kind of bury those two emotions using the tools of depression and anxiety, which is very unhealthy actually. And, um, and I had very similar thoughts that about, um, you know, I, I don't know if you qualify your, you know, thought about hoping to get run over crossing the street as a suicidal thought. Um, for me, that's when I have thoughts like that, I do qualify it that way is that it's kind of like a suicidal ideation. And, um, and those thoughts got more and more serious. And then when I was able to uproot, like you said, the weed from the root, you know, by the root, it really lessened a lot of those feelings and then gave me the ability to start to rewire my brain in that way. And you're hundred percent right. For me, it was both of those things. It was ending a relationship that, um, that was my marriage. And it, it was also, um, leaving that career path. That was the rabbit. And once I did those two things that that really opened up a gateway for me to kind of make my way through there. And I, it sounds like it was a very similar experience for you. Yeah, absolutely. It just, it's, it's something that, and I'm sure even so with your marriage is something that you feel you have this obligation and you have this commitment and you don't want to give up because of just kind of being a little bit stubborn, right? You just work, you don't want to give up, you want to stay for, you know, and obviously you have kids Mm -hmm. and that's probably a lot harder than what I went through was like, okay, I'm this type of nurse and I define myself as this type of nurse and I can't go anywhere else. And you know, this is my purpose in life and I'll be a failure if I don't go somewhere else or I'll be, I'm not true to myself, but it was the exact opposite. It was that I wasn't being true to myself. And, and don't get me wrong. Like I only wanted to be hit so I didn't have to go to work (laughs) when I was, when I was like teaching my yoga classes, like I was, I was happy as a lark. Um, um, but I think, part of my, a lot of people ask me, why didn't you do it sooner? If you would have made this change sooner, I think there's a few factors to that. Number one, um, just the timing wasn't right. And I didn't find a job that would really stimulate me 
and allow me to teach my yoga. I did find a job, but it didn't allow me to teach my yoga and fitness classes at the same time. So that wasn't in it for me. Yeah. Um, and also just the fact that sometimes you don't, you're not seeing clearly when you're in a bad situation. Um, and I, no matter how many times somebody told me that until I was ready to make the leap, which ironically was, um, my boyfriend's father passing away, then I was able to do that. Um, and then also I had a massive student loan, which has given me a lot of <laughs> mental health problems. Yeah. It's given me a lot, of, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. I mean, I had a $140,000 student loan that I had to pay for. So being out of work for me or being at a job that wasn't paying as well as what I was doing, it was just not in the cards. Like physically, I couldn't, I couldn't take that, that leap. A lot of people ask, well, why don't you just quit your job and do yoga? I'm like, well, there's a big difference in a nurse salary and a yoga teacher's salary, especially here in San Diego, where it's really popular to be a fitness and yoga teacher and nurses are always desired. Um, And so those factors definitely played a part in delaying and postponing me making a leap. And it was really when, like, you know, when you lose some money and everything gets put into perspective. And so we lost uh, my boyfriend's, I call him my husband too, because we've been together for like 15 years. Um, I lost his, uh, I lost, we lost his father, um, which was expected. And it just is like, I literally left to go to the funeral. And as I was overseas, I made a job, um, made an appointment for a job interview before I got back because I was just like, this is, it's crazy. I you can't. I can't be living this unhappy when your life is so short. Yeah. Gosh, and and it was really that feeling of like seeing you know really confronting sort of death there that that gave you the motivation to say, okay, I'm going to take a leap now. And what a brave thing you were able to do. Now you were already doing yoga at that point. Had had yoga already had had yoga and sort of physical fitness and health always been a part of your life. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a physical, my parents kept us busy. Like I said, I was very, I I lived a very privileged life. We always had food on the table. We always had a, you know, nice roof over our head. We always had activities that we were going to. Um, it was just, we did multitude of things and we had great travel, uh, experiences growing up. And so I definitely lived a really good and, and grew up in a really good environment and a very privileged life. And, um, so we did, I, I did everything as a kid. I did dance, I did sports, I did karate. And then when I got into college time, I kind of got back into running and, uh, I ran track in high school and in college and then, um, a little bit in college. And then I just got into running, running marathon, half marathon. And then I got into yoga when I was uh, about 20 years old and I was just obsessed with it. It was just something that, made me feel good. I am a, I always say I'm a B plus personality so or an A minus. Um, I'm always on the go. I like being busy. I like being moving. I like having multiple things going on. And yoga was like the one thing you just, you literally have to just focus on your breathing. And, and so that was kind of the puzzle piece that I needed in my life at the time. And it just stuck with me. So while I was in the, nursing school and a little bit before nursing school, I got my personal training yoga certification. I was teaching classes to nursing students, to corporations. Um, and then 
then it kind of, that's kind of where everything started. So that was about 2008 is when I started teaching um, yoga and fitness. Oh, wow. That is so cool. And, and I'll bet, you know, that, I mean, just like we talked about earlier, how much physical activity and exercise is incredibly helpful with mental health issues, especially something like yoga. You know, I think about it in terms of swimming. Swimming is very similar to yoga because everything is done from a very far outstretched position. You know, you're in crawl stroke or whatever. You're, you're really reaching out as far as you can and then pulling from there. And you're kicking with your feet all the way behind you, right? So it's all about these kind of like very yoga-esque pose, poses, you know, um, but the water is just kind of like giving you this um, real solitary kind of feeling. And then the breathing, because half the time you're spending with your face underwater. And when you put your face above water, that's where you take a breath. It's all very kind of meditative. So I always think that swimming is very similar to yoga in that way. Um, and, uh, you know, there's such a, a spiritual kind of mental health component. Um, do you, I mean, do you see yourself as kind of a yogi? Is that, is that like... No, I mean, I never really term myself as one. I am a yoga enthusiast. I really believe in it. It's funny that you talk about swimming because I have practiced with um, a fantastic teacher for many years. Uh, when he comes into town, he's in Texas and then does a lot in D.C. His name's uh, David Swenson. And his wife, is her name is Shelly Washington, and she used to be a professional, like, pro pro like legit pro ballet dancer um got into yoga after just some back injuries and then now she has she can't do yoga because she has joint issues with her wrist a lot of yoga is holding these static movements in your wrist and your ankles so she has taken to swimming and my last workshop with them which was a which was two years ago she was talking about how meditative and how much swimming is yoga to her because we ask, you know, are you sad you can't do the poses anymore? She's like, well, it's not really about the poses. It's just literally about the motions and it's about the breathing and it's about the fluidity and being one with something. So whether that's, you know, hiking in nature or whether that's swimming or, you know, doing these crazy yoga poses or running, it's just being able to focus on one thing. So I definitely think I'm with you that, that swimming is, very cool that to yoga. Yeah, that's that's really cool that you so you, you've just confirmed my theory. That makes me happy. <laughs> that definitely makes me happy. It's it's so similar in that way. Um, and it's funny because what I'll do is like before I get in and start my laps, I'll think about something that's stressing me out, and I I'll just think about it beforehand, and then I'll get in and swim. And to be honest, a lot of my my thoughts as I'm swimming is going to I don't think about breathing so much. I don't really think about my strokes so much because at this point it's really muscle memory. You know, sometimes I'll think about it because I want to make sure that I'm, you know, for example, with the crawl stroke, pulling from as far of a reached out, stretched out position as possible. And sometimes your hand can kind of drift down before you start pulling. So you really want it to be like as close to the surface as possible and then start to pull. And, um, and so sometimes I'll think about stuff, but usually I'm trying to remember what lap I'm on, you know, um, and so I'm just like, and the way I count is I'll go, um, I'll count la- laps in length. So I'll count sort of one, two, two, four, three, six, four, eight, five, ten, And then that's like a set for me. And then I'll, I'll do it again. One, two, two, four, three, six, four, eight, five, ten. And I lose count all the time. Sometimes I'll have to like add laps to make sure I'm like hitting the amount of, of laps that I want to do. But even though I'm not thinking about the thing that's stressing me out, by the time I finish, whatever it was that I thought of before I swam, I feel better about it. You know, it's a really interesting kind of thing. Do you find the same thing with yoga? 
Oh, absolutely. It's interesting because the yoga that I practiced for many, many years is called Ashtanga Yoga. Oh. And it has a set sequence that you do. And then once you have a teacher and once you kind of quote unquote master a certain pose, which just essentially means you're able to get into the shape, but breathe efficiently yeah. to sometimes in that shape. Um, then you go to the next pose and there are five series. Um, but the cool thing about that practice is that the sequence is set. So you really don't have to think about anything other than once you get the sequence down, like inhale, exhale, because it comes as second nature to you. Just like you were saying, when you re you know reach forward with that stroke in the way your, ha your hand placement in the water and presses back, it's just natural. You don't have to think about, okay, now I'm bringing my arm up and it's at a you know 60 degree angle and I'm bringing it down and then I'm bringing it back and I flutter my feet and I have to, you don't think about those things. It just comes very naturally to you. Right. And so to me, whether you are practicing Ashtanga yoga or Vinyasa yoga or doing swimming or cycling, it's all about you can get it to a, a natural rhythm of a state. So you just focus on your breathing. And that's what is extremely helpful for me. You know, obviously different than some high intensity interval training or some thing like lifting weights. It's obviously very, very different where you're thinking yeah. having think about your form. This is, and I believe that that's why I'm such a believer in, I hate the term cross training because it's not necessarily tr training. It's just doing things you enjoy that are allowing you to um, be cardiovascular, move your body, regenerate your organs, those type of things. That's why I'm, I'm into doing a multitude of things. So yeah, maybe one day you want to go hard, you need to get your endorphins and you want to go for a long bike ride. But then the next day you need to slow that down, activate your parasympathetic nervous system, like as long as you enjoy it. And that's what I always tell my clients when I personal train, like I want to find something that you're going to enjoy because if you don't enjoy it, I'm not going to prescribe you something that you're not going to do. Yeah, I'm not going to want to do it. It's so funny. With swimming, what's so interesting is, is that I'll find that different days the swim actually works. And I'll do the same routine often. I only switch up the routine like every now and then. And But different days will work different muscle groups. You know, like this, like one day it'll be like, oh, this was like a shoulder day. Today was a core day for me. And core days are always the best because that means that like my shoulder muscles, my arm muscles, and my leg muscles are all in a place where they're not getting tired before my core is getting worked out. Do you know what I mean? It's like it kind of hits those muscles first and then gets to the core. And that's those are always my favorite days because I always swim the best when I'm really pulling from my lats and from my core. You know, it's... um it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a really good feeling. Um, I'm, I'm being cognizant of time because we're meant to record from four to five. Am I correct about that? So we're actually out of, yeah, we're, we're, good. We're, yeah. we're already here. So, um, and, and, um, I don't want to keep you too long. Um, but what I do want to say is one thing, look, if you've enjoyed this conversation, which I've really enjoyed talking to you and there's actually more for us to explore here. Like there's definitely more to unpack. Um, a lot. yeah, a lot more to unpack and, and, um, uh, most of the folks that I've talked to and sort of put up on, on this podcast, the idea is, is that we would come back to each other and kind of check in and see how things are going and continue the conversation, kind of explore it. So if you'd be interested, I'd love to continue the conversation another point, like a couple of months down the road, re-engage, talk, kind of see how things are going, uh, talk more about sort of this COVID business, see if, if there's still if there's still a nation at that point, you know, <laughs> like... I was gonna say we might have to wait, you know, like thirty-three days. Hopefully, oh, you, you can up 
upload a podcast. I mean, I don't know what's going to be regulated. Who knows? Oh my God. Yeah. Who, who knows? Hopefully free speech is still a thing, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I love to give, you know, my, my tips for, for anything or any questions that anybody has about, about nursing or fitness or, you know, just how to help. And a lot of what I, why I love doing the nursing and the yoga and fitness is that everything is complimentary. Yeah. So I, and I've done, I actually have a paper that I published. It was a nursing research paper about yoga as a complementary therapy to kids with cancer. Yeah. So while they're undergoing, you know, they need this chemo. It's just not an option for them not to have chemo. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever their treatment is that also how yoga can benefit. And so I'd love to discuss with you a little bit more about how, know mental health you can supplement or you can add in and complement with um with different activities oh that would be that would be awesome let's definitely do that i would i would really really love that um and that's a, a great sort of place to explore um so for now is there anything else you know we we sort of touched on a couple of things here and there. I think we've maybe um, revealed sort of a tip of the iceberg. Is there anything else that, um, that you can think of that you'd want to share for this particular conversation? Um, I mean, I, we didn't really touch on like my father, my father's yeah, passing and how, I, how it's affected you. But, um, but I mean, I just, I really, and I hate to say this one thing helped me, but I mean, really, I really feel like, the yoga has helped me and really having a good support system helped me through it. I thought I would come out way worse than actually what has happened. And it has put this whole COVID situation and all the things we've been going through in 2020, like into perspective. Uh, And that's why I feel like I'm, I'm trying to be so positive and I tried to display all the, all the things on social media, it's because like life could be so much worse and it's so short. And so, I mean, I, we didn't really get a chance to talk about that aspect of, you know, going through fathers passing away, but let's do that next time. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do that next time. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. You are such a badass and um, such an awesome, inspirational human being. And I'm just honored to you know, have you join this conversation and really looking forward to continuing it down the road. Same here. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. My pleasure.